privacy. It's one of the core tenets of cryptocurrency and one of the original principles in Satoshi's white paper. Yet, with regulation coming our way and government demands for transparency, how do we maintain financial privacy in a public world? Today, we welcome Tor Bear from Enigma to the show to discuss these ideas. He's the host of Decentralize This, a podcast exploring how we can build a more decentralized future. And we promised a major announcement from the Republic of Bad Cryptopia. Today, we'll pull back the kimono and reveal what's happening. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Don't pull back my kimono. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. Get ready for a conversation about privacy and a very public conversation about some big news. And since I don't have anything witty to say right now, just think of the last thing you saw that made you laugh and go ahead and laugh about it again right now. <laughs> See you at 5 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> it's episode number 389 <laughs> of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, Who's bad? That's literally the last thing we laughed about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, where humor is the prime directive, and we'll stuff some information in there. It's infotainment. Mm-hmm. And it, h- it, hilarity up in your ear holes. If you got the it, see you at 5 p.m. joke, good for you. If not, well, then consider it an inside joke, and you missed it. Well, timestamp, we are recording on Sunday, March 29th, this intro here. So. Ah, that is true. Travis, we promised some big, big news, and we're not going to disappoint. Didn't we tell them at the end of last show? In the little well, oh, kind of. For those who caught the Easter egg, we did tease them. Mm. They were like, "Wait, wait! We thought you were going to tell us." No, we're yeah. going to tell you this show. I will tell you a little later on, though. First of all, we want to give a shout out to the good Corona. There is a good Corona out there. It's the Corona family that's been around for about a hundred years. You know, they make the beer. Ah, oh, the delicious better. beer with the lime. With the lime in it. Yep. You put the lime. Well, they are branching out and now they're creating games and they need your help. Yes, you. Look at your good. Go, who? Me? Me? Yes. Yeah, you. And, ev- and everybody, that's a you right now. Then that's that's you. You and coronagames.com they're building this game site and they want you to come kick the tires and beta test this thing they're actually going to be offering prizes when the games are live which includes dream disney vacations clearing your college debt new cars go check it out it's going to be a fully developed blockchain coin that supports the corona games and if you go to coronagames.com you can go see what it's all about it's the good corona interesting stuff over there with Corona. Um, also, hey, before we get to the interview here today, I want to talk about uh, crypto tax audit. Now, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but they have pushed back the tax date into back to July. And so that's going to help some people out here because with the whole coronavirus thing that's going on, and it would it would literally be like 15 days away from tax day. So they pushed that back. But it's really important for crypto owners to make sure they're doing it correctly. And so CryptoTaxAudit.com is an annual subscription service that can actually become audit defense for taxpayers. It's brought to you by DonnellyTaxLaw.com. So if you need a personal cons- consultation, check them out. If you want to go check out and get the CryptoTaxAudit.com, which is the only tax audit defense system currently designed for crypto owners, go check that out as well. CryptoTaxAudit.com. Start defending yourself today. Fantastic. Uh, do today. 
Today's a good day to defend okay. yourself. You wait till tomorrow and it could be too late. You get, like, you get that letter from the IRS like, oh, if only I had crypto tax audit yesterday. They need a song, though. Crypto tax audit. Da, 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 da. Then I, I think you one. just wrote it. They need a jingle. Nice job. Well, let's just jingle our way into this interview with Mr. Tor Bear. You know, Travis, we've talked a bit about privacy coins on this show, but I don't know that we've ever really gone in depth on the need for and the importance of privacy coins, have we? Well, they're very important. I mean, we know that because especially how things can be tracked and whatnot. So it's interesting to see how the privacy coin sector has evolved. And we got a great interview today. Hopefully it's great. We've not had it yet. So we'll see. Are you from the future? I'm from the future. The man, I tell you, what an amazing interview it was today. It's a great interview. We have with us the growth marketing and community strategist for Enigma. Enigma.co is a uh, private. Are you guys a coin or are you a privacy service? Your project? We're a privacy project. Uh, we're a standalone privacy protocol, and we've got our own native token for the network. Okay, and his name is Tor Bear. Or we're just going to call him Torbear. Yeah, that works. It's Torbear. It sounds like, I mean, what a great name for like an MMORPG. You don't need to change at all. I am Torbear. Yeah, that's kind of how I roll in, generally speaking. And I also get a lot of flack in the privacy space for being named Tor. Uh, for those who are familiar with the Onion Router, it's uh, it, it's almost destiny. Almost. Mm. Are, you, are you Norwegian? I'm not. It's actually of Hebrew origin. It was my godfather's name. Hmm. I ran into a dude in Iceland whose name was Tor, and that's like a Nor that's a Norwegian name, and it's that's Tor is actually Thor now, but it it's orig originally was spelled the way you spell it, T O R. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, that's why I'm I'm tempted to tell people I am Scandinavian because there it's the god of thunder. In in Hebrew, it actually means small bird. What? Yeah, is that true? Man, uh, so, <laughs> probably. I don't know. That that sounds like fake news. I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, my last name is Com. I am the god I, of thunder. I am a small bird. Com is my real name. I had, you know, no idea I was going to be a speech com major or be in, you know, the dot com industry. And it, to me, it's just proof that God's got a great sense of humor. Right. It's true. My last name's Ryde. I didn't know I was going to be right all the time about everything. You're so good. <laughs> tiny bird, <laughs> tiny bird. So you also you host a, a podcast called Decentralize This, where you talk about this stuff all the time, right? Yeah, Decentralize This uh, has a focus kind of on what's it going to take to get decentralized technologies like blockchains and stuff into mass adoption, and, and kind of the joke of the show is that. Uh, nobody really knows what decentralization actually is, so I'm pretty sure we can just decentralize everything and we'll be fine. That's the assumption a lot of people make, but it turns out the, the truth is a little more complicated than that. Well, let's, sure let's, let's start at the beginning then. Let's assume you know that we know nothing about privacy coins for and decentralization for the sake of this interview because we have a lot of people that are just coming to blockchain for the first time. And even though we're you know hundreds of episodes in, they're tuning in and they're like, I don't understand what they're talking about. And the reason we started the show was to make it so these seemingly complex subjects were easy to digest. So let's start with decentralization, and then we'll go into, you know, why we need privacy coins. Define for us. 
Oh no, define decentralization. Yep, do it. Do oh, it now. No. You have five seconds. Go. Cool. Uh, it's the opposite of centralization. Okay. I hope that helped. Uh, but yeah, the way that I try to describe it to people who are, are maybe not as familiar with even the technologies themselves that we consider decentralized is I, I start with something people are familiar with, like take a bank or a government. These are very sort of centralized institutions. They're single points of trust and they're also single points of failure. So you think back to the financial crisis in 2008 and you think about what happened when it looked like all of the banks were going to fail. They were too big to fail banks, so we couldn't let them fail. Think about that for a second. Think of what a massive security risk that is. And now think about it at like economy scale. We had created institutions that just like were too big to function in a safe and secure way. So you would think that one way to mitigate this, instead of like having one bank blow up and it take down the entire global economy, you know, maybe there's a better way. So decentralization is this idea that instead of having single points of trust, single points of failure, you can somehow distribute these points of trust or distribute these points of failure. And you end up with this sort of spectrum between centralization on one side, like if you take it to its crazy illogical conclusion, you just end up with like one thing, one global central bank or one global central computer. And then all the way over on the other side is something like perfectly decentralized where like every individual on the planet is their own bank. Every single individual on the planet runs their own pocket of the internet. To some people, like that is their vision for decentralization. We get to that level of individual sovereignty. And to other people, they actually prefer the idea that we would continue to rely on centralized services. Personally, I believe the truth is somewhere in between those two extremes. We need to be more decentralized than we are today. We have too many single points of trust, too many single points of failure. But where we're going because of decentralized technologies like Bitcoin or Ethereum or Enigma, where we're going is someplace healthier, more sustainable, more secure, provided we can solve some of the problems inherent to decentralized technologies, such as privacy. It's such a mystery, that Enigma, for sure. <laughs> so so you guys, you guys are doing some things around not just smart contracts, but secret contracts, secret contracts that operate off chain and meaning that the, the execution of the contract doesn't occur maybe on the blockchain. It occurs outside the blockchain. Maybe explain that because I've not heard of anybody who does what you guys are doing in this area. Yeah. Well, we, what we do is kind of interesting. So I got to take a step back to think about like why, why any of that makes sense. Right. And like why somebody would try to do this with smart contracts. Why would you try to turn them into something we would call secret contracts? So if you look at how smart contracts work, right, like to tie this back to what we just said around decentralization, smart contracts is a, is a weird, cool expression for essentially self-executing code. Code that you can kind of trust is, is going to execute itself, is going to continue to run, sort of this unstoppable, uncensorable code. The problem with most smart contracts, in fact, all contracts as they, all smart contracts as they currently exist, is that requires everything to be very public. If you look at Bitcoin, if you look at Ethereum, they're built on blockchain. And the whole point of blockchain was to be auditable and verifiable in, in addition to being decentralized. 
So you end up with a situation where you got to take the bad with the good. The good is this decentralization, this auditability, right? Like instead of taking a bank's word for it, you just say it's on the blockchain. The problem is if you try to do a smart contract built on blockchain, you end up having to expose all of the inputs to the smart contract. So if you try to build like a decentralized Facebook or a decentralized Uber, all those things that you tell Facebook or Uber, right? You say, here's my location, come pick me up. You say, you know, here, here's my gender, my location and, and uh, my favorite TV shows and everything else that Cambridge Analytica knows about you, right? If you tried to do this on the blockchain, you know, this is all public information. All those inputs are public. So generally, you've only had two solutions to that problem. Uh, one is you say, okay, screw it. Let's put everything on the blockchain anyway. Uh, that's a terrible solution. The other has been, all right, so we'll just, th the data won't be on the blockchain. It'll be on Amazon Web Services. It'll be on Google Cloud. Now, that to me is an even worse solution. You've solved nothing. It's just like the centralized world that we have today. Enigma came around because we said, what if you could have smart contracts, but instead of exposing all of these inputs to the smart contract, what if you could have that data stay private, but you don't have to rely on a, a central authority still to do the computation on that data, to store that data. So that was our vision, how to make smart contracts viable and still protect the privacy of the data that would be ingested by the smart contract and the, the privacy of the individual who would be interacting with it. That was always our vision. Fascinating. Well, okay, let's let's take a jump back here as we're talking about privacy in general. You know, we already kind of put out there that Bitcoin really isn't truly anonymous, right? Although that was right. one of the promises of it. So how do we, or maybe the question isn't how, the question is why are privacy coins so important? Yeah, it's you go back to why is privacy so important, you know, however it manifests, whatever the product is, where, where privacy is a feature of that product. Think about why we might want privacy. I actually gave uh, a keynote about this in Chicago a couple of months ago, uh, the case for privacy, where I talk about privacy, not as like uh, just a way to hide things from somebody else, which is traditionally what people think of when they think about privacy in that context. And they're thinking about, you know, the guy wearing the hood and his face is behind a mask and obscured. That That's sort of the like mass media idea of privacy. The way I think about privacy is I, I break it down into, into three things, really. One is privacy as consent. It's the idea that if there's something about myself that I want to share with someone else, I can choose to do that. You know, that's part of privacy. If I do not want to share it, I do not have to. It's, it's mostly about having that choice in the moment. It's not about saying by default, everything will always be obscured. Privacy was always about that choice and that consent. My money, my choice. Exactly. So that brings it to the second bit, which is that it's really also about freedom. Privacy gives you the ability to keep things from the people that you don't want to know those things. That That is a form of freedom because again, like it's a choice. So first you're consenting to what, you know, data you'd be providing and what it would be used for. Second, you'd have like the freedom to, to always maintain that choice. It allows you to then also feel safe, like privacy. Like if you can keep your, your aspects of your identity private, 
it allows you the psychological safety to develop that identity and explore that identity and use that identity without fear that you're going to be persecuted for who you are while using whatever product or service. That, that's another aspect of privacy. The last bit has to do with both of those. And this one I hear talked about way less, but I, I consider privacy to be inherent to this idea of sustainability because you can't build a sustainable system unless you make allowances for privacy. You can't have a sustainable system where your users have no consent or choice, where they have no freedom. So because we're saying you can't have privacy without both of those things and how you can't have both of those things without privacy, it ties back to the idea that if we want to build systems, any kind of system, Bitcoin, Ethereum, centralized or decentralized, there needs to be some privacy protections for the individual. Otherwise, it just it, it isn't sustainable. It collapses under its own weight because there will always be this pull from inside the system towards freedom towards choice on the part of the user. Only privacy can protect that choice without eating the system alive. So when you break down privacy into freedom and consent and sustainability, you start to see why uh, like digital currencies that protect privacy are so important. So much of the reason why we want to transact digitally with each other is because we want to create sustainable systems where we have the freedom to choose who we interact with and how we transact with them. And if we're saying we can't have the ability to transact freely, sustainably, you know, unless we have some privacy protections, then you can pretty quickly see why there, there isn't really a non-private solution to decentralized transactions. It, there has to be some sort of privacy component. Right on. Now, did you did you guys sort of maybe pivot a little bit? Because, you know, looking at your white paper, the Enigma Catalyst white paper, uh, machine-based investing platform and infrastructure for crypto assets, did you guys kind of maybe change from that, um, from, from whenever you guys originally launched and said, hey, here's a, another need over here, so let's maybe focus over here a little bit? Because that, that early on in the crypto game, you know, the blockchain space, it was kind of crazy and a lot of stuff going on, a lot of companies have pivoted, so... It's, it's, it's a normal thing. Is that what happened with you guys? Well, if you go back in Enigma's history, we actually started in 2015. So the project started at MIT in 2015, and it was founded by our, our CEO, Guy Ziskind, who was a researcher at the time at the Media Lab. The very first white paper that, that he wrote on this topic was called Decentralizing Privacy back in 2015. And the original vision of that white paper was how could you use some sort of off-chain computational layer along with a blockchain to create privacy-preserving smart contracts. That was the very, very original vision of so That was before Ethereum's really doing their smart contracts. Which is why if you read that white paper, it talks about how you could do this for Bitcoin, not Ethereum. There, was, there wasn't an option to really create this for Ethereum at the time. There wasn't, it, I mean, Ethereum had already been proposed, but it wasn't to the level of uh, development where this could have been like the subject of a full white paper. But you fast forward from 2015 to here we are recording at the end of 2019. And, you know, obviously that's changed. But the other thing that's changed is what was a really hard sell at the time for a variety of different reasons. First, people didn't believe in blockchain. Second, people didn't believe in privacy. Now that original white paper has over 900 academic citations because everybody woke up and said, wait a second. You can't have decentralization without privacy. You can't really have true privacy without some sort of decentralized system to underlie it. 
or else you're always relying on some sort of central authority to protect privacy. So the original vision of Enigma always revolved around this idea of private smart contracts. What didn't always exist was the infrastructure to support that vision. Like at the time, as you said, there, there really wasn't Ethereum. It, it, it certainly wasn't in the stage where we find it today, like a global community. There was barely like a consensus. I remember talking to consensus in, in 2015 when this white paper was written and it's like they were, they were just getting started. So it's crazy to look back now and see that. So a lot of projects, you're right, like they, they've had this sort of pivot point where, you know, like, well, we've identified a new problem. We've identified a new problem and it's good. People should solve problems. That's, that's kind of the whole point of a project. You shouldn't solve a problem that doesn't exist. But for us, it was more around, we've always had the original vision. The question was just, how are we going to solve this idea of bringing privacy to different types of decentralized applications and smart contracts? And over the lifetime of Enigma, we considered, should we be doing this at the protocol level? Should we be doing this at the platform level? Or in the case of what, what you're talking about with Catalyst, should we develop this at the application level? Uh, and what we ultimately realized was, look, if we're not going to do that work, if we're not going to build at the protocol level, nobody will. You can't just wait for somebody else to solve these massive, massive problems that affect every blockchain. And again, by design, right? Every blockchain is bad at privacy by design. So we went back to the original vision and doubled down to say, look, we're going to be the project that solves for this. We solve the ability to use private data with smart contracts. Because if we can do that, the next thousand projects that get created that can be built on Enigma and built, you know, on Enigma with Ethereum. Now, now we're talking real solutions. So like Enigma is to Ethereum as to Monero and Zcash or to Bitcoin, right? They're, they're Monero and Zcash are straight up currencies, peer-to-peer payments with no smart contracts. Yeah, it's that that's an analogy that I have also used. You know, it, it's not fully descriptive, but if somebody's trying to grasp what we're trying to do, that's as close as you can get, right? Like right. you're talking... Bitcoin is transactions and you're trying to bring privacy to transactions. Well, Ethereum, you know, the vision originally was this idea of like the world computer, a smart contract platform that's decentralized. Enigma is trying to bring privacy to that vision as well. It's, it's really interesting to see uh, how people, because Monero and Zcash, I think, are designed to be more standalone, whereas Enigma is designed to work with other blockchains. Like it's designed to be blockchain agnostic. So you can imagine Enigma becoming the privacy layer for Ethereum, but also for an enterprise blockchain, but also for Tezos or Cosmos or, or Polkadot or, or what have you. Like th- this is what we're trying to enable. We're not just trying to solve privacy for one blockchain and have that be it. That's, that's kind of a centralized vision of decentralization. We're, we're trying to help the entire decentralized internet. We're trying to be a foundational pillar and have that pillar be privacy. There's a polka dot. Did you just make that up or is there actually a polka dot? I swear to you, there is. There's a polka dot. There's a mimble wimble. You privacy people. There's people <laughs> named four. It's, it's so bizarre. So here's my question then around regulation and stuff. We know that the governments are all trying to figure out their own way towards um, you know, what they're going to allow. Some places won't allow Bitcoin at all. We don't think that, you know, they're likely to shut it down in the United States. But if let's just say in some weird dystopian future world that the government, the governments of the major world powers say public cryptos, you know, you can't trade in Bitcoin. Now we see the huge value in privacy coins, right? Yeah, I, I think that a lot of people in the decentralization space have already envisioned 
some sort of future dystopia or current day dystopia, right? Like that's part of what motivates us all in this space is the idea that if you have a centralized point of trust, the person in that point of trust can abuse that trust. And it, it's kind of what you hear a lot of the time where it's like, we, we don't want don't be evil. We want can't be evil. We, we do like that idea where you can't be taken advantage of by design. So I think about that future a lot. And I think about what China's doing in particular. They want to launch like a national digital currency. Well, ask yourself, if China launches some sort of national digital currency, is that going to have any privacy protections for its users? No, of course if it not. Does, That's part of the plan to be yeah, able to know even. everything everybody does. Right? Now, imagine if now China not only has this digital currency, that's their central bank backed digital currency with no privacy protections. But what if they're also able to get this to be some sort of global reserve currency? And, you know, and it works because it provides some sort of solution or better user experience, right? Like, or, or it's like somehow making a lot of people a lot of money. That's the sort of thing that, you know, if you put the entire weight of a billion person country behind it, like that to me is deeply threatening if only because what's the com- what's the competition to that you know if you're going to say well don't worry some western government's going to step up with it with its privacy protecting digital currency no they won't no government anywhere has any incentive really to protect the privacy of the people that are using something that they would be issuing a- as currency like that's that's just not in their interest they this is how we ended up with our current system of surveillance capitalism and it's pervasive the world over because every government has the same incentive they want to know but as individuals that's not our incentive so if we're trying to come up with something that has more again like freedom consent sustainability we do want alternatives to these systems and we want them built before it's too late and we don't want people getting caught up in the ideas like oh it's so cool that china's embracing blockchain well yeah that's cool until they force you to use their blockchain for everything that you ever do because there won't be any privacy. We know that. So, so how, so you, you talk about China and how it's most like it's going to be a centralized solution. Like, so say for example, a government said, Hey, we want to have transparency and privacy for our, our own sovereign country coin. Like how might they use your solution or how, how might a country do that so they can get into that, can't be evil right because it seems to me that like if we don't get this right we're like on the verge of like this authoritarian totalitarian sort of dystopia kind of thing where people like oh i can be evil and so i'm gonna be (laughs) because i crave power and like it seems a lot of politicians are there so say say you know what we could build one from scratch how would a sovereign token look like that had this privacy built in and why might a, a government consider that? Well, you know, my, my answer before was that they really don't have a ton of incentive to consider privacy when they design, right? And like governments are always saying things like privacy is something that only criminals need. That's, right. that's kind of the attitude that they're trying to instill in people. But on the other hand, there, there is something that, you know, governments and enterprises and institutions care about, you know, like they do care about privacy. And there are regulations that already exist to protect people's privacy, less so on transactional privacy, right? Like who I pay for what, when, why, 
But we already have laws in place like GDPR or like some of the laws that California has been experimenting with where consumer privacy is designed to be protected. So if you're asking me the first thing that we're going to see governments and enterprises really push for when it comes to privacy, but at the same time embracing some of the technologies that are being built here in the blockchain digital currency kind of ecosystem, I think that they're going to first gravitate towards things that are around protecting like if you can create value for a government or an enterprise, then they're going to like it, you know? And if you're saying that value is also related to privacy, they'll take it. But what they want is the value. So let me give you an example. Let's say that you are some kind of uh, healthcare company and you've got patient data and you really, you know, you, you, there's so many regulations. I can't even get into them around like the protection of patient data, but like, you know, this, you can't like just share patient data willy nilly. There's so much you have to do to be responsible for that data. At the same time, there's so many insights and possibilities that are unlocked. If you're able to analyze patient data, if you're able to use it, uh, to, to do like some sort of machine learning or you're there, there's so much that can still be unlocked. The problem is because you can't share that data because it can't go anywhere legally. Like you're, they're trapped in these things like called data silos. They never get out. Every, every different healthcare organization is going to have their own silo. But there's a way to use decentralized technologies with privacy to solve this. And this is really attractive to organizations already, whether it's a government organization or like an NGO or an enterprise, like what if they could all share this data together? combine all this patient data, find new cures, find new drugs. And they can only do this by combining all their data together and doing some sort of like machine learning analysis. Uh, but, you know, they can only do this by using decentralized systems. I, I've tried to put this in terms of like, what's the business value? Why would anybody use decentralized technologies and why would it have to be private? Well, there's an example. But, you know, if you spin the question around and you're saying, why would a government choose to create some sort of national, central, digital currency that also protects the privacy of its users, I just don't think they will. I don't think that's ever been on their roadmap. I don't see why the China, the US, Venezuela, or any other country in the world would ever do it. But if you tell them that there's going to be business value, or if you tell them like government organizations have all these same problems too, you know, like there's going to be value for governments and enterprises. I just don't think we should be relying on them to to put privacy into a, a national currency it's just not in their interest well, we want privacy for for the consumers but we want transparency for the government like i want to have insight into as a citizen what is the department of defense wasting all these billions in some accounts trillions of dollars on where is that money and so government needs to be transparent but the citizens need to be private it seems that's a Interesting balance. Oh, yeah. I, and I completely agree with you. Like trans, transparency and privacy are not opposites, right? Like what, what we're saying is like we want to be able to transact with each other freely with consent, et cetera, all these elements of privacy. And at the same time, we do want auditability. We want verifiability. If I transact with somebody, I want to be able to know that, you know, that wasn't double spent, right? Like or or that like it was used for the purpose that I paid them for. Like if I pay you something, 
I don't want it to be so private that now you can just steal my money and I can never say like, hey, that guy stole my money that I sent to him and he never delivered the service. We want to have like a full history of like, now that I've paid you, there's a smart contract that automatically releases the service that I paid for. And because you've instilled that trust and that verifiability and that auditability right into the system, we can still have privacy. I don't have to know you who you are. I don't have to trust you. I just know that the whole transaction is going to work out exactly the way that we think. So maybe what you're describing is if I'm paying tax dollars in some sort of national digital currency, now I can prove that my tax dollars were used in the way that we said that they would be. You can trace back the whole history of that tax dollar paid into what the government said they'd use it for. They, they say they're going to use it for education and it goes to education and not into, you know, whatever Florida resort. Like that's, that is the level of auditability that I think we all want. Whether it's in the government's best interest is another question. But as citizens, right, we live within, at least in America, a democracy. I think that if we build these technologies, if they become viable, we can vote them into existence. We can, we can do it, provided that we do a good job building the technology, provided there's business value to be had by the government, by the enterprises and the individuals. I think we can pull this off. All I'm saying is I don't think, you know, whatever many senators sitting in a room are going to think of this on their own. It's something that we True. have to do as an industry. So it's, so Tor, it's kind of like a new escrow, maybe. Like, I'm going to pay this. And then once I pay this, the smart contract releases that escrow, sort of like, you know, how escrow works now. But this is all yep. built into digital contracts and make it, making it all nice and smooth. Yeah, and that's the vision of, of smart contracts more generally, right? Like, it's just going to be self-executing code. What I'm saying is, like, if you don't have privacy in that, there's not necessarily a lot of people who are going to want to interact with that system. If you have to reveal everything about yourself all the time to be able to use some sort of system like that, mm -hmm. I'm not sure we would opt into it. So what we're trying to build with Enigma and what a lot of people are trying to build is the best of both worlds. Something that works the way that you said, where there is that accountability, where we do decentralized trust so that like we, we trust, we have the ability to choose who and how we trust. That's what we're trying to build. What we're saying is privacy is inherent to that vision. You can't have it without privacy. And at the same time, I don't think we'll ever have true privacy unless we're able to decentralize. They're, they go hand in hand. Excellent. Well, the folks you're working with at Enigma, the website's enigma.co. You blog for them on their site, and your site is Torbear. Dot com where you write about decentralization and and the future of uh, tech and privacy and all that good stuff why don't you give us a, a quick a few quick bullet points about where enigma is going so right now where enigma is going is we, we've been building right i said since 2015 it's it's been a long road uh we we did a token sale in 2017 now it's 2019 and we're finally launching the, the network version of, of our testnet in protocol. It's the very first network testnet we've ever had. That's just how long things take to build in this space when you're trying to build stuff that's never existed before. There's never been a private computation network like Enigma. We had to build it from scratch. So where we're going is launching that in the month of December 2019. It might be out by the time this episode airs, so look forward to that. And then in 2020 comes our mainnet. Uh, where we're going to launch and people can write their own secret smart contracts, deploy them publicly. I personally can't wait to see what people build because it's those applications that are going to show people that are going to be tangible, where they're going to finally say, 
wow, this, this brings the whole vision home for me. You know, whether it's a transactional privacy application, whether it's a machine learning application that preserves privacy, whether it's something for like privacy, preserving credit scoring, there's like hundreds of things you can build provided you've got decentralization and privacy. And 2020 is the year where you're going to see this stuff start to go live. Hey, Travis, do you remember when we talked about somebody should build a poop chain where you take a picture of your dookie and, Mm -hmm. you know, put put it on blockchain? This is how you could do it anonymously. It's so good. (laughs) I'd love to do that. So now, so we have our own coin. We have bad coin, right? It's its own blockchain and it's, it's built off of Bitcoin and some Litecoin stuff. And then a couple other coins we built into it. A a little bit of dash. Yeah. And so basically what it is, is it's, it's, it's a mineable coin that people can mine with bad computers, but we don't have any element of privacy on that. So like you talk about how blockchains, can work with Enigma to sort of create that. So how would a blockchain like badcoin.net, how would we be able to add a layer of privacy onto that with Enigma? So one of the first applications that was built with Enigma is something called, we're calling Salad. And it's uh, essentially a coin tumbler, a coin mixer. And it's an application for transactional privacy that's built on our protocol for computational privacy. So if you think about a transaction, sending something to somebody else is just a super narrow, trivial form of a computation, right? That, that's really all it is. Mm-hmm. It's just like a super simple computation to say person A is getting what from person B. So the first application that we built for Enigma is that mixer. And we're looking forward to like using that exact same implementation for any kind of blockchain or any kind of asset. Like we're starting with it for Ethereum because that's where it feels like we can have the most impact, you know, with decentralized finance. There's so much of a need for transactional privacy. So if you use something like Salad and Enigma for that, you've already gone so much closer to like the solution that I've been describing this entire podcast. And that's what I want. But what we really want is that sort of solution for every chain, for every digital currency, for every crypto asset to introduce that element of privacy and not just for transacting it, right? But for using it in in any kind of smart contract. So my short answer to you is I would love to make Badcoin private and we should talk about it. In the meantime, you know, check out Salad, check out what we've already built for the Ethereum ecosystem because I'm sure it'll uh, I'm sure that'll answer a lot of questions for a lot of people when they kind of start to see this stuff in action and say, damn, that, that could do a lot of stuff. Most awesome. Well, we appreciate it, Tor. Thanks again for joining us today. You guys go check out Tor's stuff. And of course, in the show notes for this episode, you will find links to his stuff. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. The, the IRS sent the tax letter and you got it. What do you need? You need crypto tax audit. <laughs> there you go <laughs> trademark travis right you can buy the rights to that uh donnelly yeah you can buy the rights to that if you want uh hey want to give a quick shout out to our other show sponsor eToro. if you haven't downloaded the eToro app by now it's available for ios and android devices they've got this cool copy trader feature i've not seen this anywhere else travis basically you can follow other people that are trading on eToro and they they make their profiles um, you know, public. So you can see what their percentages are, their gains and their losses. And if they're gaining a lot and they seem to be consistent, you go, you know what, I'm going to take a thousand dollars of my portfolio and I'm going to copy this guy or this gal mm-hmm. and whatever they buy, I buy whatever they sell, I sell. So, you you know, it's, it's a smart way to trade. 
if you're following smart money. And if you sign up now, you can go to badco.in forward slash eToro and check it out today. Have you got any money left to invest? <laughs> Never invest what you can't afford to lose. True. I know some people say that's bad advice. I still think it's it's good advice. Don't don't invest what uh, you can't afford to lose. All right, Mr. Travis Wright, are we ready to pull back the kimono and show something to people that will really impress them? Funk. <laughs> <laughs> so so here's the deal. Um, all these crypto conferences are getting canceled, right? Mm -hmm. We were supposed to go to Bitcoin 2020. You were going to go to Hong Kong blockchain. I was going to go to South Korea. You were going to go to Dubai. I was going to go to Dubai. Consensus has canceled their New York event. Who knows when crypto events are going to pick up again? And there's a huge hole because of this. There's great loss out there because we're not able to have these crypto events where we hear great talks from speakers and are able to network with others. So we have a solution to that, Mr. Travis, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we were having a conversation. What's interesting about this is Joel and I both sort of came to this. We were thinking about this, and then we sort of came to it at about the same time. And we thought that it would be really cool to put on a virtual crypto conference. Which, you know, made a lot of sense because we're already well connected in the crypto space. And we knew if we asked people to participate that they would say yes, because, you know, these have become our friends and our peers and our associates. And we're all in this crypto thing together. And so we are super excited to announce the world's first virtual blockchain week virtualblockchainweek.com is the website you guys can check it out right now and travis we have lined up for that week the most star-studded group of leaders authors futurists trailblazers luminaries that i have seen at any crypto event ever let me start naming some off for one opening up day one is going to be tim draper mm -hmm. right we know him john mcafee is going to be here pomp anthony pompliano charlie shrem peter mccormick of what bitcoin did caitlin long uh, who's been doing all, a lot of amazing stuff for the state of wyoming cz of binance uh, Elise Sam of Give Nation, Roger Vera, Bitcoin.com, Maddie Greenspan is going to be here, Oz Sultan, as well as Miko Matsumoro, founder of Evercoin, Rachel Wolfson will be here, G. Edward Griffin, the creature of Jekyll Island, Sir John Hargrave, Brittany Kaiser, who uh, opened up that whole thing about Cambridge Analytica is awesome. Oh Sam my gosh. Yeah. Samson Williams, Chris Snook, Mahmoud Maghadam, who's the creator of Rap Genius and also Everpedia. Vesa, the artist, is going to be there. Sharia Me, Ryan Rodden, and a bunch of others. And we got a bunch of them. We got a couple of really big names that we're, that we're hoping is going to say yes. We're, 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 we're so close. We're, we're really working on it. Virtualblockchainweek.com. Oh, by the way, it's free. That's right. Yes. This, is, this is us creating content that we want to give back to the world. This is going to be a global event. It's going to be live streamed. It's going to take place April 26th through May 2nd. If you can go now and register for free, April 26th is going to be our, our VIP event. For those who do wish to have some extra access and be able to engage and meet and greet with some of the speakers and join us for the networking party, it's going to be $97. And half of that is going to be then donated to a COVID-19 nonprofit 
relief organization. We're yet to decide which one, mm-hmm. but we're going to take half of whatever comes in there. But but you don't have to pay for that if yeah. you don't want to. That's just for the VIP stuff. The event is free. The, v- the event is free. It will remain free. The content will stay free. But for this VIP stuff, now those, those prices are going to increase up over time. So right now they're at the introductory $97 price. Uh, but that's going to give you, there's going to give you opportunities to at, literally network with these people, which is going to be really cool to be able to come in and do a Zoom breakout rooms and connect with people and stuff and some, a lot of other different things we're adding to that. So pretty exciting. Then, then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night, starting at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time and going all the way to 10 p.m. Eastern time, it's going to be speaker, bam, 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 speaker, boom, big speaker, boom, it's content, content, content. Uh, we just want to put this incredible content from these brilliant people directly to your computer, to your iPhone, to your tablet, to your TV. If you choose to watch the stream, if you got Roku, if you got Roku or whatever, one of those smart TVs, yeah, yeah. you can totally be able to. Because we're going to stream it on. Uh, well, we still have to work through some of the technology, but if all goes right, it's going to be streamed to Facebook. It's going to be streamed to YouTube. It's going to be streamed to D Live, to Periscope, which is Twitter, to uh, Twitch. TV, we, we're going to attempt to make sure that this has every outlet possible mm-hmm. for you guys to uh, to yeah. enjoy this. The global crypto live stream experience is going on here, folks. Like this is this, we, we brought this to you as, as Mr. Joe Khan mentioned in the in the previous episode. We put this thing together for the most part. We had the idea, we decided upon it, and then within forty eight hours is pretty much what you see on that website right now. Most of those speakers agreed to be on the show to do this. I think we had 25 of them within within 48 hours. Say so, yeah. Yeah, it's really incredible. And, you know, we chose the evening to do it because we don't know if people are going to be on lockdown still or back to work. And so we figured, you know what, if if we are back to work, then the evening is going to make more sense for people, at least here in the, the U.S. I know that, you know, on the in Australia, it's going to be morning. For those of you in, uh, you know, the U.K. or other European countries, you're probably going to watch replays of the stream later uh, unless you're a night owl and you want to stay up all night with us and and watch as well Uh, but we are currently looking for sponsors for the uh, for the event we expect to reach thousands upon thousands of people with this content and so reach out to us at badcryptopodcast at gmail.com if you want to be able to have some FaceTime and get your message out in front of this global audience because it's going to be absolutely incredible mm-hmm. yeah we're, we're you know Joel and I a lot of you don't even know this some of you do but you know, Joel and I collectively we have over fifty years of marketing experience. Like our area is, is digital marketing, and we moved over into crypto in two thousand seventeen. But this project right here, I think, pulls from every single one of our skills that we've stacked along the way, and has really has really been pretty interesting to put this thing together. It's I think it came out pretty beautiful. The website. You you are a penultimate designer, Mr. Travis Wright. So we're going to be hosting the event. And we'll be your MCs. Uh, many of the speakers will be giving presentations with slides and have their own talks. Some others will be more fireside chat-like, where we will be either one or both of us will be interviewing that individual. So 
virtualblockchainweek.com is the website. Go register right now if you want to get, you know, you register for free to watch it all. If you want to get in on the VIP experience, which uh, we're still working out everything that's included in that, but whatever it shows you right now, there will be more added to that. And as Travis said, the price for that is going to go up each week. And so get in now, save your seat, be ready for this. It's going to be incredible. And spread the word. Tell your friends. Start tweeting about this. Use the hashtag VBW2020 um, because we think that we're going to blow up the internet in a good way when this event goes live. Mm-hmm. We're excited. And I think you guys are going to be excited too. Go check out the site, virtualblockchainweek.com. Like what a perfect domain for that is, right? I mean, we are the virtual republic of bad cryptopia. Right. So it well, makes sense that we would put on a virtual blockchain week. Somebody asked me, Travis, they were like, wow, great domain. What'd you pay for that? Two grand? And I laughed. I said, no, nobody had registered it. I, I got it for nine bucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we also, I think we registered virtual blockchain summit, virtual blockchain something, something like some other ones. That way other people can't try to, you know, get on our virtual blockchain chain. Yeah, don't, train. don't be honing in on our virtuality. Yeah, gosh. We reality don't like that. We, uh, we appreciate you all very, very much. Please spread the word about Virtual Blockchain Week 2020 at virtualblockchainweek.com. Mm-hmm. We'll catch you on the next episode. Bad news will be up next, and hopefully we'll have some good news to share on bad news. Until then, stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.